The Hamlet Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Basics. I teased at the end of the last of these sessions that next time we discuss antithesis. Hamlet is perhaps the greatest example of how Shakespeare pits one idea against another, and he does it in an almost maddening number of ways. (laughs) More fool me for thinking I could fit it all into a single episode, but we'll see what we can do. Before we get any further, I should state for the record that I don't think Shakespeare actively thought about any of these nuts and bolts as he was writing. If he did, I suppose that makes him even more of a genius, because he manages to embed them so artfully in what he writes. I can't really imagine him counting up the numbers of antithetical comparisons in a given speech, or anything like that. But for an actor, or for anyone trying to unpack what's going on in a specific portion of the text, it's very helpful. So, what is antithesis? In contemporary English, it means the exact opposite of something. One might say that so-and-so is the antithesis of a decent politician, or something like that. When we talk about it here, antithesis means the device of balancing two opposite ideas. It comes from ancient Greek, and its meaning is something like setting against, setting two ideas against each other. Conveniently, the most famous line in Hamlet is a perfect example of an antithesis, to be or not to be. Two simple but profound concepts presented here as a choice. To be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to deck arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. So we have various antitheses here, to be, not to be, to think or to act, to suffer or to end one's suffering. Now, Hamlet is ruminating on his choices here, and so obviously it's all quite binary. A or B. I can do this, or I can do that. As an example of antithesis, it's not the most compelling, because it's rather basic. Antithesis, as a device, comes from the Elizabethan delight in rhetoric, the use of language and style to construct a thought, or more specifically, an argument. The two contrasting ideas whatever they may be in a given antithesis, should occur close together. And that means whether it's in a sentence or a paragraph. Given how quickly Shakespearean characters, especially Hamlet, can think, it's never going to be that you get one half of a pair and then you have to wait more than a few lines for its opposing number. So if you feel that there's an antithesis but they're very far apart, these two opposites, chances are that's maybe not what you're looking for. Nearly all of Hamlet's soliloquies rely on some kind of an antithesis. The first one, Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, and so on, begins with these images of solid flesh and then dew. Immediately Hamlet is arguing between life and death. He's still appalled at his mother's o'er-hasty marriage, and so he's contemplating suicide, except he knows he cannot, and so he's stuck moping and he'll do so heartbroken until Horatio comes in to tell him about the ghost. Next up is, oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I, during which he compares himself with the actor who has shed tears over Hecuba. Again, we see two contrasting images, the actor who sheds real tears over a fictional disaster, and the real character Hamlet, who can't manage to act over his real circumstances. 
next up, just in terms of soliloquies at least, to be or not to be. And here the currents run between the pale cast of thought and the name of action. Thought versus action. And then by the last soliloquy, how all occasions do inform against me, Hamlet is trying to spur himself at this late stage into action. Each of the soliloquies begins with some kind of antithesis, suffering or suicide, Hamlet or the actor, or by extension, fiction and reality, living or dying, and then finally, action or weakness. In the last soliloquy, Hamlet suggests that if a man just sleeps and eats, he's no more than a beast. We are made for more than that. But again, there's another antithesis there, man versus beast. Now, of course, there are other ways in which Shakespeare sets up opposing ideas. Antithesis is a helpful trend to spot, especially in a long speech, because the opposing ideas often bookend the lines. But there are other techniques, like juxtaposition, when Shakespeare sets up two images against each other to show us a meaning in their comparison. Antithesis comes from Greek, but juxtaposition comes from Latin. All it means is putting beside. So if antithesis means putting opposite, or setting something against its opposing number, juxtaposition is just putting two ideas side by side. They don't quite have to be opposites, just ideas that maybe will resonate in some way. A good example is when Hamlet describes his father and Claudius. So excellent a king that was to this Hyperion to a satyr. Hamlet takes two male figures from Greek mythology and juxtaposes them for comparison. Hyperion, the divine and beautiful titan, who was the father of the sun, compared with a satyr, a drunken, sex-crazed creature that was only half man and half goat. This comparison speaks for itself. As well as juxtaposition within the language of the play, there's juxtaposition at a much broader level. Within the story, we have three young men, Hamlet, Fortinbras and Laertes. Both Fortinbras and Laertes are, in their ways, juxtaposed with Hamlet. The former is a prince whose uncle is ruling the kingdom and who is determined to fight and make his mark. The latter is a young man who studies in a foreign centre of learning and who spends the latter portion of this play trying to avenge his murdered father. Now, I'm being a little heavy-handed in describing them like this, there's plenty more going on, but it should be pretty clear that each of these characters has similarities with Hamlet. And of course there are significant differences too, and indeed it is these differences that make the story interesting. It could be said, in contemporary English at least, that old Hamlet and Claudius, the two brothers, are the antithesis of each other, since one is good and one is bad, and so on. One is alive, one is dead. But if you were writing an essay about antithesis, I'd keep it as a strictly literary idea. Certainly these two men are polar opposites, but for the sake of clarity, we'll keep the A word for the literary or the rhetorical device. One final way that we'll discuss here in which Shakespeare juxtaposes opposites, is when he uses a paradox. The most immediate example of a paradox I can think of is when Hamlet says, the body is with the king, but the king is not with the body. This is the very definition of a paradox. It's a presentation of ideas that seem to contradict themselves, but somehow have a truth to them. This is maybe the most mind-bending paradox in the play. It still annoys me, even though I'm fairly satisfied with the explanation that we discussed in episode 117. But that image and that turn of phrase is so simple, 
but also so complicated that it does still stick in my head. A simpler example from elsewhere in the play is when Hamlet insists, I must be cruel only to be kind. Cruel and kind are a neat antithesis, and Shakespeare juxtaposes them in a paradoxical way. Amazingly, this all comes together and makes sense. Even though the two words have opposite meanings, they're combined and they create their own new meaning. I'm not quite going to suggest that you go through the entire play of Hamlet with a fine-tooth comb and puzzle over which opposites make an antithesis and which make a paradox and which are a juxtaposition and so on. Shakespeare juxtaposes ideas almost on a line-by-line basis. It's what makes his language so rich and so, so full of images that we can cling to. Even Polonius, at his bloated best, manages a few. Maybe his most famous line is... To thine own self be true, and it must follow, as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Here we have true and false, and for good measure he throws in night and day to boot. You can imagine just how many cylinders Hamlet is firing from. There will always be some antithesis, juxtaposition or paradox to riddle out. Now that we've identified this use of opposing or juxtaposed ideas, you'll begin to see them everywhere. Enjoy them focus on them. A great champion of antithesis was John Barton, one of the founders of the Royal Shakespeare Company and the subject of one of the earliest bonus episodes of this podcast. He wrote a brilliant book about playing Shakespeare, which accompanied an equally brilliant TV series of the same name. It had an all-star cast and they spent the nine episodes experimenting with various Shakespeare texts and there's a constant insistence that they should pay attention to the antithesis. And if it's good enough for them, it's certainly good enough for me. I'll speak to you next time.